The Money Series continues, and today my guest is Ellie Salern, a creator, mentor, and teacher in the field of sacred business. In episode 206, Ellie and I spoke all about sacred business and a sovereign relationship with social media. And in this episode, we dive deep into all things entrepreneurship. Ellie shares her entrepreneurial journey as well as her money journey. She shares how she realized her childhood dream by entering the music business, how she ended up in a three-year court battle after being betrayed by her business associate, how she was able to overcome that trauma of entrepreneurial failure that was stored in her body, why she used to associate entrepreneurship with being broke and what it took to let go of aggressive business blueprints and the incredible journey that she went on to be shown the vision of business as a vehicle for sacred service and how it shows up in her life today, what her offerings look like, and what role the spirit of cacao plays in all of it. We talk about business as a vehicle to heal the things that are coming up for you on your human journey, learning to trust your body and the person you're becoming along the way, the dichotomy between trust and worry, and the power of leaning into fear as an access point to your personal power. That we spoke about towards the very end, and I had some really profound personal resolution. So my intention is that you get something from this conversation that moves you, that invites you to go deeper within yourself, and perhaps that offers you a glimpse into a brand new perspective that you didn't even know was possible. You can find all of the show notes on kseniabrief.com. And if you are moved to share this episode, please share it with somebody who you think would benefit from it as well. And if you're going to be posting on Instagram, tag Ellie Siler at ksenia.brief. I'm going to link to everything that we spoke about, including our handles in the show notes. Before we begin, I'm so excited to introduce you to the sponsor of this episode, Mudwater. It's one of my favorite products that I use every single day. I'll be honest with you, it's been on my list of dream brands to partner with for years, probably since I started the podcast. Okay, so what is Mudwater? If we're connected on Instagram or TikTok, you probably have already seen me making my morning beverage with Mudwater. Here's the thing. Mudwater is a coffee alternative but I love drinking it with my coffee. I typically make a shot of espresso, froth some oat milk with mud water, and serve it hot or rice depending on the weather. Mud water has four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. It's got functional mushrooms, which I love, like lion's mane, chaga, and reishi, plus spices like cinnamon and turmeric, and it gives you the energy without the crash or anxiety or jitters because it has one-seventh of the caffeine of a cup of coffee. Now, what I notice is when I drink coffee alone, there's jitters, and a little bit later on, there's a crash. But when I drink it with mud water, I don't get all these weird coffee side effects. On its own, mud water is like a next-level chai cacao beverage. The cool thing about it is that it easily dissolves in liquid, whether it's nut milk or water. There's no brewing needed. I typically use a handheld frother, and it does the job really, really well. In the summer, I also love making a mud water chai smoothie with almond milk, frozen banana, almond butter, collagen, and mud water. It's so, so good. Mud water comes in recyclable tins, 
They are really beautiful. I love reusing them. And what I've been doing is subscribing to the 100 serving bag of mud water and then just refilling my tin. There aren't a lot of products I love enough to subscribe to, and this is one of them. To try mud water, you can go to mudwater.com and use code Ksenia to get 15% off your first purchase. That's M U D W T R.com and use code Ksenia, K S E N I A, for 15% off. Currently, all orders ship within US and Canada. Another reason I love mud water is because they donate a percentage of earnings to psychedelic research which is a field that is dear to my heart and one that has come up in so many of podcast conversations. I am so grateful to partner with such aligned brands to be sponsors of the show. It helps pay for all of the production costs. And honestly, every time I think about it, I'm just so moved and grateful that I get to do what I love the most, which is to have these conversations and I get to get paid for it. It really shows me that it is possible to be in our highest expression and our highest service and be provided for, fully provided for. I get to amplify a brand that I believe in with my full heart, and you potentially get to discover a new brand and a new product that will add value to your own life. Now, let's get to the episode. Ellie, welcome back to the podcast. You are the fastest return guest I have ever had in history. (laughs) I am thrilled and honored and very excited to see where today goes. There are several topics that we didn't get into last time that I am just so called to explore and so excited to do with you. We talked about sacred business and energetics and redefining surrender in last conversation. So if you are just tuning into us, me and Ellie, for the first time, make sure you catch up on the first part of this conversation because there are just so many beautiful places we went that take this conversation of expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship and sacred business to a whole new realm. So there's so much enjoyment in that. So I urge you to go listen to that. And the intention for this episode is to, like you said, Ellie, to create this grounded space, practical and grounded and yet magical at the same time, conversation about money. And I thought that a place where we could start is your entrepreneurial journey. And perhaps if it feels aligned for you, weaved into your money story, because I have a feeling they're quite interconnected. (laughs) They are very interconnected. And I'm always really honest about my entrepreneurial journey and the highs and the lows and how much I've struggled and how good and grounded it feels to have got to this point. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of like opening the door to the background. So I began my entrepreneurial journey age 22 and I'm now 39. So that was 17 years ago, which feels nuts if I think about it. And it began with me opening up my own recording studio because that was always what I wanted to do when I was a little girl. And it was one of the... Just let me... <laughs> pause you right there. Who opens up their first business as their childhood dream? (gasps) I just want to acknowledge you there because that's pretty (laughs) epic. Well, I swear to God, from a very young age, I knew I want to be a recording engineer and a music producer. I want to have my own recording studio. I want to understand signal flow. I want to know what every button in that studio does. And I just want to make music. And 
that was the strongest vision for, I mean, honestly, I remember even age 11 discussing it with a friend and being like, okay, we're going to do this together. And that's why it was so difficult to let that dream go when I had to eventually in my late 20s, which we'll get to. But yeah, it was a very, very, very strong vision. So the second I left university, which was a massive waste of time, and I got like an embarrassingly low grade, I got a third, which <laughs> in England is like, I mean, hardly anyone does that badly. <laughs> and I went straight. Is it third out of five? <laughs> I wish. Um so you got a first, which is like only the best, and then a two-one, which everybody gets, a two-two, which only very few people get, and then a third, which is like you have to get thirty percent or less to get a third. But I, my heart wasn't in it. My, I was so unhappy. I should never have gone to university. It was a massive waste of time, and I, I do actually deeply regret pissing around so much. What did you study? Anthropology, hmm. and it was like apes, primatology. I studied apes, basically. Now I find that very interesting. But at the time, it was just just the next step on the train that I thought I had to take, you know, oh, I need to get on the train to university. And I was so disengaged. I basically never went to lectures. I was extremely dissociated from my body during the entire time. It was actually a huge trauma for me, the whole thing. And the second I left, I thought, right, I'm going to study music production. And I turned into a completely different type of student. I was, you know, the college was like a good hour away. And I went all the way back every single day. I showed up to every class. I was like hungry to learn. I drank in every single word my tutors taught me. I booked like practice rooms every day. I worked my heart off, but it felt like the most glorious, aligned, exquisite euphoric work I'd ever done. And so then I um, I came top in the entire school, which had never happened to me before. And I got offered all sorts of apprenticeship opportunities. I got a publishing deal for one of my songs. And it was just effortless. It was completely effortless. And so I built my own studio. I um, attracted in a roster of clients. And I began doing live gigs. And it just felt like my dream come true. What kind of music was it? And were you also singing or were you producing only? I also had a band with my sister, uh, which we still kind of have to this day called the Traveling Snazzies. <laughs> so of course, I made my own music on the side because I am a musician and my family, we have a family band with my dad and with my uncles, and my cousins. And so like my true heart's music is 70s country rock. But what I was recording, I ended up in a really random niche, which was... <laughs> I thought I was going to become a hip hop producer, but I ended up getting sucked into like a gospel kind of niche. And it's all word of mouth. So like once you record one outfit, then the others come. And so I got drawn into this. I mean, they're beautiful people, the gospel community. It was like really cool music. And I think I was just too young to appreciate it. So it's very spiritual, but it wasn't lighting me up. And also doing live sound, Xenia, you have to imagine I'm a weak 23-year-old girl at this point with like no muscles. And I have to turn up to these gigs on my own with like enormous speakers and mixing desks and like a thousand mics. And I have to set up the stage on my own. And then during the gig, invariably, stuff goes wrong. And then you basically have to like problem solve and put out the fire live so that the audience doesn't notice. And I had some horrendous experiences where I realized I just don't have a thick enough skin for this. 
And so I moved away from live sound and just like focused 100% on recording. And then after a few years, something was missing. Like I just wanted to use my brain in a different way. So I decided to start a record label with my old boss. And so together we started a record label and that was when like my world opened up and I went into business. So I kind of wound down the studio professionally, although I continued making music with my family and with my friends. And I, you know, from one day to the next, I had my own business. I think I was 24, 25. And that was the wildest ride you can possibly imagine. And in a nutshell, sadly, my business partner, who was also my mentor and my dear friend, ended up completely screwing me over. And he stole a lot of money out of our business. He was in cahoots with the accountant. They created fake tax numbers, which I was putting on invoices. They created fake accounts. They literally, they didn't pay taxes for nine months. Wow. One day I was alone in the office because my partner had gone to lunch and there's a knock on the door. I opened it and there was the tax man saying, good afternoon. I'm here to take all your stuff, all your computers, all of anything of value, your car. I said, excuse me? And he said, well, you haven't paid uh, income tax for nine months. I said, I can assure you we have. And I scrambled. I got the accounts. I said, look here. He said, well, I don't recognize what's on there because that doesn't tally with what like we haven't received a penny from you for nine months. And so at that moment, I said, please come back tomorrow. I'll sort this out. And something, a voice in my head said, start looking through the office. And I knew I had about half an hour before my partner came back. And I just went, walked over to a file, opened it up and saw a bank transfer from the company into my partner's personal account for 15,000 pounds. And I thought, holy shit. And so I began photocopying frenziedly and I realized I have been completely and utterly duped and ripped off and I'm now, I'm going to have to clean up this mess. What the hell am I going to do? I'm 24 years old. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So therein began a three-year court battle, which was like the lowest time of my entire life because I had to learn all the sort of laws of governance. And when I say governance, I mean like the ecology of, of business governance in my territory in the UK. I had to learn all the laws, all the legislation, all the rules, all the etiquette. I had to navigate the fact that, you know, my beloved mentor and business partner had completely ripped me off. When he came back from lunch, I had to keep my mouth shut because I knew in my head I'm going to have to do some hunting. And I hired a forensic accountant. And once we had this dossier of evidence and I presented it to him, he didn't even bother denying it. He said, oh, I knew you were going to find out. Wow. I just thought, how has this happened to me? But I couldn't sink into despair because I had to fight to get my money back to pay off the myriad of creditors that he had accrued behind my back. I also was a director of the company. So I had company's house saying, you're liable for these debts. You personally are liable for these debts. And so three years, which ended up basically me alone with my father, who was also a silent partner and who had also been ripped off. And I had to deal with that guilt too, because I'd brought him in as a silent partner. And together and often alone, we just had to fight. And it was a real eye-opener because all I was surrounded with was very aggressive business tactics. 
And obviously that left a huge scar. And it also taught me a very specific, like aggressive blueprint for how you get ahead in business. And when the court case eventually settled the night before the trial, I walked away from there with such intense trauma in my body. And also I saved my company. I kicked the others out. But can you imagine how I felt moving forwards, how protective, how guarded, how um, boundaried, how the, the walls had gone up and I didn't trust anybody because I found out that a lot of people were aware of what was going on and, and had not told me. That must have really hurt. It hurt so badly. I didn't have a single friend in the industry. So now I'm in my kind of late 20s. And at this point, I would say that the spell was broken and the love I had for the music industry was lost. And so for the next three years, I continued running the company. We were very successful on paper. Uh, we sold a lot of records. We were in the newspapers every week with reviews. We had a fantastic roster of artists. I had a new business partner, but I, my heart was numb. My heart was numb and I made a lot of business decisions that I can now recognize came from a place of fear and from a place of just deadened creativity because I didn't know any better. So to bring this into money, I was giving myself such a small allowance. Uh, you know, I was paying myself a very, very small salary every month because the way that our business model worked was that in order to record an album, it cost 3,000 euros for recording and around 1,500 euros for manufacture. So 4,500 euros could pay for an album, which then obviously when you sell it can then net you, you can press 1,000 copies and from that, you can net, you know, 12,000 uh, 12, euros. So that four and that, f you know, if I pay myself four and a half thousand, I could turn that into 12,000 or, or it could just get lost in my, it would just be taken out of the company. So I wasn't able to pay myself very much money at all. And so over these years, I started to associate running your own company, entrepreneurship, building your dream with being broke being skint, having to prioritize your company over yourself. To me, there was no way that you could thrive personally and that your company could thrive at the same time. It felt like a dead weight around my neck and yet I couldn't walk away because I felt so responsible for the shareholders and for the vision and for making back all the money that was lost. And it all came to a head when I got divorced, and this is relevant. In the meantime, my personal life had just fallen apart. I was going through horrendous infertility for years, and my marriage fell apart. And the day after my marriage fell apart, I woke up alone in my house, and I sank to my knees, and I prayed, and I'm not a religious person. And I said, okay, I've just lost my marriage, and I can see that that was the biggest dead weight that I was carrying. I am now ready to release the other dead weight in my life. And that is this company. Please help me release this. And I kid you not, the next day I got a phone call from another record label offering to buy my company. Wow. I was like, hallelujah. Yes, a thousand times yes. The sale itself was another very difficult, complex process in which all of my wounds played out yet again. I didn't trust the buyers. They ended up withholding money from me. It was basically the same wound playing out again. And so I, I walked away, yes, with money in my account, but emotionally, spiritually, 
energetically, I was an, in absolute turmoil. And it was from this place that I then thought, right, I'm going to completely change career and I'm going to start a career in wellness, which is my true passion. And when I say wellness, I just mean like physical wellness, spiritual wellness, energetic wellness, expanded consciousness. And I had at the same time started to build a network marketing business. I don't know if you know this about me. Uh, I did some digging, so I'm a little bit aware, but I would love to hear it because this story is just incredible. And your your way of taking us there, I'm just feeling it all. Like my, my hair is standing up on my hair. <laughs> the odyssey. Okay, so here I am, a brackets or in inverted commas, failed entrepreneur. That's how I felt. So this opportunity to join a network marketing company was offered to me. And it was offered to me by somebody that I very much admired and liked and trusted. And it immediately appealed to me. And there were some really specific reasons that it appealed to me. Primarily, it meant that I was able to start doing business immediately. I didn't have to build up a bricks and mortar business. I didn't have to build up a following. I didn't have to buy any product. I didn't have to do any marketing. I could literally slot into a business model and begin turning a profit immediately. And there were basically no overheads. Coming from a record label where the overheads are enormous, you have a nine-month cash flow cycle with pay for a CD, you record it, you have to manufacture it, you release it, you sell it on consignment. So it's nine months later that you see the money from when you first paid for it. With network marketing, you're working in a 30-day sales cycle and you're just selling and you're immediately seeing an income. So that really appealed to me from like a logistics point of view. I was thrilled that I didn't have to worry about manufacturing the product. I didn't have to worry about distribution. It was just me sharing my vision. And I really felt attuned to the vision. I, to this day, there are a lot of aspects of the network marketing model that I adore. So there are really some pure aspects of it that I adore. I adore the fact that you can cast a vision. I adore the fact that you can take a product and that you can bring so much of your own creativity to how you sell, to how you share, to how you promote. I adore the fact that when it's done properly and with integrity, it is cooperative entrepreneurship. And that if you build your organization with integrity, that you rise together. And of course, there are a lot of companies that misuse the model and who essentially create a compensation plan, as it's called, and then hunt around for a product to slot into it. And to me, that's where we veer into pyramid scheme territory. But I can tell the difference because I made it my business to go deep into the mechanics of the business model and to analyze like the stability and the integrity of doTERRA, which is who I worked with. And I felt good about it. So I threw, I channeled all my efforts, my expertise, my passion, and my love into building this business. And it was like the best of times and it was the worst of times. Ultimately, I did really well initially. Like I just went full pelt and I did really well. I made some really good money or it felt like good money at the time coming from such a slow molasses type income stream that I was paying myself from my record label. And it just felt fun to finally work in a team and to have people to bounce your ideas off. I'd been alone behind a desk for so long in my record label working from home and feeling very isolated and mistrustful. Suddenly, I'm able to do business with like-minded women. I had never been able to do business with a group of women before, and it was phenomenal. 
However, as always, when we take a step forward and we follow the desires of our soul, there were a lot of deep lessons that I was there to learn. And those namely centered around leadership and correct, right relationship to leadership. So I was suddenly thrust into a position where I'm, in inverted commas, leading a team. And it was messy. Like that's the only way I can put it. It brought up so much resentment, projection, hunger, isolationism, like so much of the human projection around what leadership truly is. I had no idea what leadership truly was. And so because initially when I did really well, I think I was just like operating on pure love and happiness. But then as the team began to grow, all of my shit came to the surface. All of my wounds began playing the same wounds, by the way. And my income dropped. And it felt like such a struggle to get it back up. And I literally like put my nose to the grindstone. I worked so hard. I probably deployed all sorts of subversively manipulative marketing tactics to to sell and to grow a team. I say this without shame because that's all I knew at the time. That was all I knew. Nobody was really talking about sacred business at the time. I had no understanding of that. All I knew was if I cast a vision and then if I use my powers of articulation, if I use, if I cast a vision eloquently using magnetic language, which I know how to do, then the people come and they did come. And so what I now realize is that unconsciously I was kind of working with quite manipulative energy. And again, I say this transparently because I think it's important to have that conversation to, to look at the different stages that we move through. And money was like a big black cloud for me because I had always struggled to make it. You've got to bear in mind that I followed my vision from age 11 and still never felt financially abundant. I had such a strong vision. I had so much determination. I put my everything into it and it was still eluding me. It was still eluding me. And so with doTERRA, things came to a head and I I reached a leadership rank but I never felt abundant. My bank balance always felt shaky. And then the time came, it was right at the beginning of 2020. So this is now two and a half years ago when something clicked or snapped or shifted. And all of a sudden, deep in my body emerged a sincere desire to be of service through my business. And I really want to like pause and actually bring like proper awareness to that. You cannot fake wanting to be of service. You cannot fake a sacred business. You can't summon a sacred business because you like the way that it looks or you like the way that it sounds or you, you know, you're attracted by the linguistics or you're attracted by the people who play in the realm of sacred business. Your sacred business simply means that you are engaging with your business in a way that together you and your business are genuinely, truly building something that is of service, the highest possible service to the whole. And the minute that you sincerely unleash that desire in yourself, your business serves an evolutionary purpose. And that is when the magic happens. And I believe that those moments, like the moment where that shifted for me, maybe it was pre-coded, maybe it wasn't. 
but you can't bring about those shifts. And it's the same with like anyone who's listening to this and has had like a spiritual awakening. You can't summon a spiritual awakening. It's like you just wake up one day and you're like, ooh, I wonder what meditation is. So it's in your DNA. It's almost like sequenced. And then the day comes when you get to that part of the code and it's like, bing, you're awake. And so anyone who's listening to this now and is at the very beginning of their business and feels that desire, then this is your time. You might be 20 years into your business and suddenly there's a click and you're like, oh, I really want my business to actually be of true service. For me, it was like 15 years in and everything changed. So I clumsily and enthusiastically began playing with different ways of attuning to my business. And, you know, it was very amateur, but it was like really euphoric. I just began like playing with attunement, playing with contemplation, playing with, you know, remember we talked about in the last episode, surrender, the idea that surrender can be a very submissive like merging kind of energy, or we can surrender correctly, which is to acknowledge that our imaginations can only show us a teeny tiny amount of what's possible. And so like correctly time surrender where you're like, I can't even possibly imagine what this could look like. And I surrender it. That's such a different energetic. And so I was playing with like the metric of surrender. I was playing with being in service every day. I declared, I am here to serve. Show me what to do. And suddenly, all of like the realm of ideas, which is the only way I knew how to call it, revealed itself to me. And all of these really cool like transmissions and ideas and wisdoms and streams of creativity just presented themselves to me. And they were outside of me and suddenly they became clear and they began pouring through me. And I began creating in a way that I never had before. It was quite chaotic, I'm not going to lie, because I had no idea about having a sovereign relationship with my creativity yet. But financially, I went from earning around, I'll do this in dollars, $2,000 a month by the end of 2019. As 2020 emerged, it began to rise slowly, slowly, slowly through like multiple different little income streams. I began to create little courses that were like divinely channeled. And then suddenly like an extra thousand dollars would come in. And then I do another little course or I do a workshop and all these things started adding up till it was like $5,000 a month. And I thought, oh my God, this is so cool. It works. And then I sat down and created my first real course. And that was the month that I made 20,000. And since that month, I've consistently earned a healthy multiple six-figure income. However, I would also caveat that and say that from that... Every month, did I hear that right? No, no, not every month earning six-figure, apologies. That since then, I've maintained my pro rata income level at six figures a year. And I'm always quite transparent about figures because I think it's expanding for people to hear. I agree and I appreciate you doing that. Yeah, I just think let's take the mystery out of it. So I've, I've always maintained like the 20,000, the 15,000 a month. And that's pounds, not dollars. So that's like more in dollars. And however, I want to caveat that to say that when that quantum leap in inverted commas occurred, like that by no means means that I was ready to receive it because I was then plunged into a whole new, <laughs> a whole new assignment, which was 
let's learn how to receive this and hold this with my central nervous system because I was frazzled AF. I became a slave to my income because I just wasn't used to it. I was like, uh, what? How do I now earn this? I became obsessed, obsessed with money, obsessed with checking my bank balance every day. I felt more scared of losing it than I ever had before when I didn't have it. And so the trajectory over the last 12 months has been learning how to become practical and grounded and to hold and slowly and sustainably increase my capacity to hold and generate and circulate wealth. And that has been exquisite. I'll pause there. (laughs) Digesting so many beautiful moments there of surrender and being in your business and being able to look at different wounds and patterns as an opportunity to resolve them or not, or to take them forward in your life and keep applying them to your business. And the question that I'm present to is when this energy of being a service oriented business owner came in, you could have applied that energy to your existing doTERRA business, Mm -hmm. but you decided to start something totally different. So what was that identification like and the choice like? That is such an important question. So when that shift occurred, that is, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, how can I take this new intel that I'm receiving and how can I apply that to my doTERRA business? Because I built that for five years or so, you know, first on the back burner and then as my primary income source. And I did. I tried really hard to take these new principles of sacred business and to weave them in to the way that I ran the business. So I completely changed how I did the business. I changed my leadership. I changed the way that I led my team. I changed the way that I held calls. I changed the way that I shared the products. And it was beautiful because it took all the pressure off. And I was curious to see if it would affect my income. And it did affect my income a little bit. It lowered it a little bit, but I was cool with it because when I was looking at the mechanics of the business, I was choosing to build it in a more sustainable way. So there were certain kind of um, placement decisions or structural decisions that I was having to change. And I knew it would mean a temporary dip. However, what I, what I felt was that my income threshold before was based on, it was like a house of cards. And I thought, I don't want to prop up that house of cards anymore. So I'm willing to tear it down and rebuild it if it's correct. So I did kind of tear it down. And then it was really interesting because I actually went to the founder of the head of like the UK and European manager. And I said, I really want to speak about doing sacred business in doTERRA. There's, a, there's room for that conversation. Currently in the culture of doTERRA, we're in a bit of a kind of gaslighty narrative where people's fears are not being acknowledged, um, that nobody's building their businesses based on trust and generosity everybody's building their businesses based on fear. And she said, yes, please go ahead and put together a series of talks, which I did. And that was the end of my business with doTERRA. And it wasn't for any dramatic reason. It was just after giving these talks to a very large community in doTERRA, I just realized this isn't for me. And in the meantime, my income had started to like quadruple from my other business creations. And I thought, now's the perfect time. I've given this my all and I have genuinely tried to take these sacred principles and apply them. And I said to a lot of my community, I do believe that it's possible 
to build a network marketing business based on what's right for you and not to feel like you have to duplicate other way other people's way of doing business but it's not aligned for me to try like I'm no longer fascinated by it and I have to follow what fascinates me so that's when I left having this conversation with somebody yesterday how it seems to be even harder to leave a relationship that is pretty good but with its downside like sometimes really great and sometimes bad and in my experience, it's been helpful to like break up and then get back together a few times to kind of just like start taking that step away. <laughs> and, you know, with you, with doTERRA, it seems like you had given so much energy and that was your first experience of collaboration and trust and being in this wellness industry that is so dear to you. And I imagine it took so much courage to leave that and to bet fully on yourself. So not even like house of cards, but it's like you went back to the publishing. You, you started your own publishing house to print your own card deck and build your own house that you have full control of. And it doesn't even have to be made of paper. <laughs> it sounds like that's what you did. That's a beautiful way to put it. I love that. And you're right that it is scary to step out of a system, out of an existing framework something that you can slot your individuality to a certain extent into. And it's all there. It's literally all there on a plate for you to just pick up the tools and start earning an income. And so yes, to step away from that and to just be me and to earn money as me felt miraculous. And I'm still going through that disentanglement because now my recent disentanglement, which I don't know if we spoke about in our last episode, was how can I continue to de to disentangle and to like demerge myself from even the spiritual sacred teachings that I so adore that I often weave in to my to the way that I hold space what is my relationship to these beautiful spiritual teachings do i respect and honor my human intelligence and my my ability to understand the mystery of life because like my beautiful teacher told me this is just one part, like you take an enormous system like human design. And we have to remember, this is just one man's take on the mystery of life. And so there's loads of ways in which I'm still continuing to like strip away all of the different coats that I wear. And then ask myself, me, Ellie Silen, am I enough? Like, do I have a body of work that is me and my own intelligence? My, that's come from my embodiment and my relationship with the ecology of my life that takes into consideration my lineage. And my lineage goes way back and way out and up and down. It's, it's a non-linear lineage. But what is my body of work? And so with my hand on my heart, I can say that the integrity and the caliber of my work is my number one priority to keep refining my work. It's not about how can I sell more? How can I learn to be more magnetic? How can I position myself? It's like all of that is secondary to what is the caliber of my work when I stand eye to eye with my clients? Like, what am I participating in? What am I holding space for? What is my engagement with the field of transformation? And that, that process of refinement and, and evolution is my number one focus at all times. 
I love that conversation of focusing on our work more than what it looks like. You know, one of the visions, like embodied lessons that I've been given is we focus so much on the projection of who we are and what we do, with social media being one of the biggest projector screens there is. Uh, but there's this profound invitation to go back into our hearts and what's right here, what's present right here, right now, what's alive in me in this moment. And when that vision came through, it was this invitation to be as present and alive in the moment as I can, and then capture that and share that, but not go into the projection and try to manufacture something that's going on here. It's like this full embodied existence. And, you know, I'm still very much learning that it's an invitation that's ever present every single day. But that visual changed so much of how I see business and how I see social media. Absolutely. And so much of the business world that you and I play in is around how to sell yourself, how to sell your work, rather than like, what is your work? Like, what is the caliber of your work? Like, what are the specifics? Like, what is your work on a molecular level? Like, what exactly are you holding space for with your clients? And to relate that to money, this is how I now engage with money is it's actually very practical and very grounded. And if you were to reverse engineer it, I used to have a very kind of emotionally charged relationship with money. And I wanted it, I hungered for it. And then when I got it, I felt it validated me. It made me a little bit arrogant at times. I mean, all the things you could possibly imagine. Um, and what I've now learned is that it's not about money. Like you can't heal your relationship to money by focusing on money codes, which is a phrase I see a lot. Like money is money. It's all the things leading up to money. It's the, ch the creative chain or the evolutionary chain trajectory that leads to the money to being deposited in your bank account. And it's, you know, if you reverse engineer it, it's, it's who you are. It's your thoughts. It's your beliefs. It's your values. And then how those shape and inform your decisions and your actions. And then how that leads to the transactional exchange of money. And if you are focusing on your work and on the caliber of your work, then you're honoring your own personal evolution. So for me, like the, my work every single day brings up shit in me that I consciously sit and heal. And so I'm changing every day. I become a different iteration of myself, which informs the decisions I make and the actions I take in my business. It informs the structures I build, the frameworks I build. So it's very practical. And then those then translate into how I earn money because there'll be like a million different ways that that changes both practically and energetically how people feel about investing into me. So it's never about money. It's always about the person you're becoming. And are you willing to become a new iteration of yourself every day? Because every iteration of you receives different opportunities, makes different choices, builds different frameworks, and engages with the world around them in a different way. And that's what changes what money comes into your bank account. Yeah. And the thing that I keep learning over and over again, that it coming in once 
And us even allowing ourselves to receive and expanding how much we can receive is not even it. It's also, can we hold it? Can we be a vessel for trusting ourselves to reinvest it? And it's an ongoing journey. It's not like, okay, I healed my relationship with money. I've done so many courses and read so many books. And it's an ever-present lesson in my life, ongoing, that keeps expanding. And there's so much to each aspect of my personal interaction with it that keeps blowing my mind every single day. And there's more and more and more. Mm-hmm. There is more and more. And sometimes sometimes you need to experience um, the, the proximity of wealth in order to realize what it does to your life and to how does it actually feel. And sometimes you need to experience the opposite. And it's always about like who you become as a result of your relationship to money. And so when we project out of our bodies and we project ourselves into money, like literally like when you think about it in that hungry way you're you're leaving your body and you're leaving yourself and you're abandoning who you really are so that you can try and like dive headfirst into money and understand it more so that you can have more but you're not acknowledging the power that you have like this has been a massive lesson for me in the last six months is understanding accessing and deploying my own personal power as a human being we talked about this on the last episode and that is what's allowed me to have a completely different relationship to money. Because I understand the power that I have, the powers of manifestation that I now have that are very practical. You can't shortcut them, you can't fake them. But again, you know, let's not forget that I've spent 15 years getting to this point and I've made all the mistakes and I've had all the highs and all the lows. And like that, the timeline of this was perfect for me, for my soul. My soul obviously chose for me to get to the age of whatever, mid-30s, before I began to experience what it felt like to really make money. And there must be a reason for that. And so I do trust and honor that I obviously wasn't ready to be of service at that point and to be the kind of human that can include those levels of wealth. So you're speaking to some as you said, specific manifestation principles and practical things. I would love to get into those. And also I would love to get into when you first got that glimpse into having a service-based business, what was your vision of what the structure actually would be like, what your offerings would be, and what does it actually look like today? Mm, That's a really good question because when I first got that click of genuinely feeling like I I could give all to my business. And the, the difference is before that I wanted to be of service, but I was too scared. I couldn't quite understand or imagine a world where I could trust my business and that I would be taken care of. And so suddenly the day came where I just thought, oh my gosh, like I am ready. I am so ready. And it was such a euphoric feeling, Uh, just pure euphoria to be, and it was really like a conversation with mother earth. Actually, I just thought I want to serve you and I want to do so through my business. And so initially what that looked like was that my meditations and my contemplations began to deepen. And suddenly I had access to all this information that I never had access to before. And it came from outside of myself. So suddenly like these fully formed sentences or these ideas, or I just suddenly knew things that I didn't know before. And I didn't really know what to do with them, but I guess I began 
to speak about them more. And at the same time, because I had genuinely given myself over to service, I began to become more honest about my shit. So I stopped hiding. This is a massive part of it. I stopped hiding. So back in the day with like my leadership style had been, I have to pretend I know what I'm doing. I always have to pretend to be certain. I cannot show my fear. If my team shows fear, I have to basically gaslight them out of it because that's, that's what I thought that leadership was. They come to you with their fears and you basically speak in such a way that like their fears melt away. I was too scared to hold space for their fear because it triggered my own. And so when I, when I softened into actually like being willing, ready, willing, and able to have a generous service-based business, it gave me the strength to face my own demons and to become more honest. And people said to me pretty quickly, Ellie, you're speaking completely differently on Instagram. Like your posts are like so real. And I was like, oh, really? And that's when I realized, I remember I was in the bathroom one day having a shower, as one does when one has all one's best ideas. <laughs> and I realized there's such a world of difference between an Instagram post that has been beautifully cultivated, but is empty, <laughs> or an Instagram post that is real and raw, and there is truth with a capital T. And the way that I saw it at the time was that that type of truth comes from somewhere outside of us. It's like divine truth and that it's coming through us. And that when you start speaking, when you're, when you're in proximity to divine truth in that way, and it comes out of your mouth, like it stirs the pot. And what I now see that as is that was my earliest clumsy attempts at like attuning to the pure field. For example, let's say leadership, like you can sit and you can attune to the field of leadership, the purest truth of leadership. You can attune to the purest truth of sovereignty. So instead of like attuning to the projection that we humans have placed, all of other people's thought forms, people's ideas, you can actually go directly to the source and you can like pick up. And I promise you, every person on this earth can do that. You just have to sit and do it. And if you actually sit and you intend to learn how to attune, you will figure it out. And that's when you start learning things that you didn't know before. And that seeps into the way that you speak. It seeps into your presence. You're moving, you're, you're becoming a different iteration of yourself. And what that then translates into is that you start creating things that are vastly more layered and multifaceted and more serve a purpose, serve, serve more of a specific nuanced purpose than anything you've created before. So then, then like different people turn around and notice you, different people enro enroll and your community starts to develop and shape in a way that it hasn't before because the new truth that you're speaking is tapping different people on the shoulders. And then that grows and you, you grow at the same time. And so now, so initially what that looked like for me was that I was like, basically I'd get really excited because I would suddenly notice like two tarot cards that suddenly like revealed themselves to me in a new way. So I'd be like, I need to talk about these two tarot cards. So I'd literally, I was already leading cacao ceremonies, but instead I would be like, let's do a cacao ceremony and talk about the major arcana number one and two, the magician and the high priestess. I remember that one. And so I began bringing in some of my ideas and like creating these workshops and masterclasses. And like more money was coming in. And I was like, I can't believe I'm actually earning money from talking about the magician card <laughs> while we drink cacao. And so all of these unique offerings just birthed. 
and they became more and more nuanced and more built out. And that's how I then built my first course is like, that was a natural progression where I was able to, I was finally ready to hold a four week course, taking people through a specific trajectory in business. And then the rest is history. Like it's just grown from there. And what that looks like today is I have, I've learned the art of mentorship. Well, I continue to learn the art of mentorship. And I've done so by, with guidance, attuning to the field or the soul of mentorship and truly learning what pure mentorship is and then bringing in different elements. Or now I do, I continue to teach courses. I'm about to teach a six-month business course, which is so based on these foundational attunement practices because I know and I believe that every person on this earth can access that mystical, magical field of miracles through learning how to attune to it. So it's like very practical, but it's, it's right there. You just have to know how to sit with it and to do so in a sovereign way. And I love that at the beginnings of this was cacao, because cacao is a plant ally so dear to my heart that has guided me through so many twists and turns on my own journey. And it makes me wonder, how did cacao come into your life? How did it enter? What was the magical story there? So I was in Australia in 2016 and I was at an event and suddenly this woman came onto the stage, Mackenzie Marsluff. You won't forget that name in a hurry. And she was there to talk about conscious business. And she, it was the most jaw-droppingly epic talk I have ever, to this day, I was like, what? This woman is phenomenal. She started a hummus company. She invented dessert hummus. And now it's very common in America, but I promise you she invented it, delighted by hummus. And she traveled the country sleeping on a freezer or cooler box or whatever you call it in America selling her hummus at markets, and all of her business decisions came from drinking cacao. So every day she drank cacao and she asked, show me what to do. Which market shall I go to? Like, how should I structure my business? Which investors should I approach? Like everything. And so she introduced me to the concept of what it's like to take guidance for your business. And so after the talk, and she said, I've now... um, I'm now bringing ceremonial cacao to the West because it kind of hadn't really been done before. This is, you know, seven years ago. And so obviously I was like fangirling her big time. And so I wrote her an email saying, I would love to help you bring the cacao to the UK because currently the customs setup means that every time I order a bag, I have to pay double. So why don't I, as a favor, and I would do this out of, I would just love to help. Why don't you send me a batch and I'll do all your shipping from the UK for free. Um, that way people here pay local postage. And that became, that was the beginning of our business partnership. And to this day now, six years later, we are full on business partners. I am the European and UK distributor of cacao, fly cacao or cacao drinking chocolate on Instagram. We have an incredible, loyal, abundant customer base. And it is the most phenomenal business partnership between Mackenzie, Michael, her husband, myself, and then a couple of other guardians, that's what we call ourselves. And my trajectory with cacao has been fascinating because initially um, I drank cacao every day and I still do every single day. And cacao has got me through some really hard times like you, has guided me. But now I've learned a new way of attuning to the soul of cacao. I think you and I spoke about this personally, where I now meet the soul of cacao eye to eye. 
And instead of saying, instead of inviting cacao into my heart directly or, or saying, show me what to do or almost allowing that energy to merge with my own, it's more a case of what are your qualities, cacao? And what are my qualities? And how can we work together to bring about the intentions that you have for our relationship? So it's a much more sovereign partnership. And it's amazing because the number one result of that is that I'm no longer dependent on cacao, where I used to have to drink it to like awaken my creativity. And now I have a completely different nervous system, a different uh, relationship with my creativity. And I drink cacao just as a delicious accompaniment rather than feeling beholden or like dependent on the qualities of cacao to switch on my creativity. Something really beautiful, my mentor, Michelle Sine, who also has a cacao company. It's so interesting how, you know, when I landed on your site for the first time, when you booked that session with me, I landed on your site and the energy and the structure and the wording on your site, I could swear you are mentored by Michelle Sine as well, because the energy structures of it were just so familiar, but you're not. And I still, to this day, wonder every single day, if your mentor, Hiro Boga, and Michelle, who I've been mentored by, are somehow connected, or maybe they're not in the physical realm, but they're like part of the same fractal because their energies, even the way they speak, their voices are so similar. It really blows my mind every single time. Uh, But something Michelle shared with me is that once you have had cacao, um, it stays with you. You can invoke it without ever having to drink it again. And like you said, it becomes, yes, you can make yourself a cup and enjoy it and give your human body this delicious nourishment, Mm -hmm. but you don't need it. You can invoke the spirit of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once it's with you, it's with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so interesting because I remember the very first time that I learned how to attune to the spirit of cacao outside of my own body. And it was mind-blowing because until that time I had connected to the spirit of cacao mainly through dialogue so if I had to analyze it it would be like I'd, I'd drink my cup I'd begin a dialogue and the intention I like put all of the focus on the intention I am here to serve I'm here to listen I would invite cacao into the space let's say and I would really invite her into my body into my heart And I would kind of, the visual would be, I would be inviting her qualities to almost cloak over my body so that I could be brimming with her energy, so that her loving qualities, her energy would be running through my veins and I would be experiencing and emanating her essence. And I did that for many years. But I'm going to tell you a little cautionary tale here. I developed some serious health problems as a result of that approach. So specifically, blinding headaches, like blinding, blinding daily headaches that now have vanished. And the reason those have vanished, it's not just because I drank cacao. I'm I'm not saying this to freak people out. It's more that I realized that I did not have a safe way of attuning to plant entities. And there were other plants, plant medicines that I've worked with. I was allowing them to just crowd into my body. I was literally taking them into my trans medium channels and they were just lodged. And not just, and it wasn't, I wasn't even attuning with the pure spirit. I was basically allowing the human field of projection. So all the human activity that's ever been associated 
with the tree of cacao, which you can imagine how much, all the, the, the projections that people today have around cacao, all the hopes, the dreams, the desires, the agreements, the thought forms, like a field around the idea of cacao had lodged itself into my body. And that might sound completely crazy, but it's actually very normal and practical. And this is what happens if we don't know how to be sovereign in the way that we engage with everything else, other people, entities, everything, plants and beyond. Everything. Yeah. The ecology of your life. And so when I learned, so first of all, I cleared all that out. And then I learned, I remember my first attunement where I tuned to cacao and I imagined the edge of my boundary touching the edge of her boundary. And it was, I can, the only way I can describe it was, it was like an, a seventh sense. I experienced such a visceral sensation, but it was outside of my six senses. And I realized that my interpretation of cacao and my understanding of its qualities were nothing compared to what I was experiencing. I had no idea. And so I've literally redrawn a new relationship where I now, un- I can now sort of sense the qualities of cacao, but they are beyond language, really. And they are certainly beyond the kind of dogmatic, slightly dogmatic set of descriptive qualities that I had associated with cacao before. You know, I've had experiences before where I would go see medium, not medium, but like a spiritual psychic healer that I used to see when I would go visit my family in Moscow. And one time I went and she said, there's all these entities attached to you. I can see that you've been in ceremony and the space wasn't held properly because there's things that stayed with you. And that really freaked me out. I was like, what? It's been two years since I had that ceremony you're talking about. What are these entities? What are they doing? How do I get rid of them? So since then I've been very intentional about saying yes to being in ceremonial spaces, making sure I tune in and check in with every layer of my being to make sure that I am in a space where I can hold sovereign space for myself. Because it's not just on the shaman, not just on the leader, but it's also on me to show up with clear boundaries. Yes, invited to co-create with it, but you're right, not completely give myself over in a way where I forget myself. And there's situations I've heard about where when people give themselves over too much for getting their human fully, that's where people sometimes will come out of a ceremony with big mental issues. They lose themselves in the ether. So always, always, always in any ceremony, being sovereign, being very smart about who we choose to sit with, um, so important. And I'm so curious for you, how did it come up? How do you identify that you had this entanglement with cacao and how did you begin to work on disentangling it so instead of learning about sovereignty through what everybody else says because it is one of the most misused misunderstood terms currently in circulation i wanted to learn and understand what sovereignty really was so i began to attune to the the soul of sovereignty the spirit of sovereignty and that is an ongoing lesson for me. But part of the way that the soul of a, or the deva of a quality works is that inch by inch, it reveals itself in your life, like why you are not sovereign. And you start to understand, in this case, sovereignty on an embodily physical level. 
And so initially, it, it was very clumsy and very amateur, the disentangling. And it's only now sort of as the months roll by that I understand more and I'm able to, it's, it's very deep personal internal work and definitely helped at the beginning by Hero. Hero was the one who initially introduced the idea of sitting face to face with our allies, like outside of our energy field. So she introduced that whole concept to me. I never would have known until she showed me. But again, that was my soul bringing us together so that I could learn that lesson so that I could begin to put that into practice. And there are many energy technologies that you can employ that like will physically disentangle you, which are way too nuanced and it wouldn't be appropriate to kind of go through them on here. It would, that would need to be done in a much more contained, specific, intentional space. But if, you know, anybody who's listening to this, who is like, oh my God, I want to know if I'm entangled, just like sit and ask yourself, examine where in your body your attention is when you communicate or commune or sit with cacao. Like, do you stay in your body? Where do you envisage cacao to be? Like, just find out for yourself where it is in the body, because chances are there is probably some enmeshment going on, but you absolutely have the power to de-enmesh. It's just choice, intention, focus, and then you manifest the result by just taking those focused, intentional steps to de-enmesh. Yes, such a beautiful invitation. And always with you, Ellie, all the topics that are already present in my fields kind of get more layers, like one of these pastries that just like crumbles and the, you, all the layers are revealed and you know, like, like a good croissant, like flakes everywhere filling the room and the wind picks them up and you're like, which one do I, do I look at next? <laughs> but the one that I'm called to look at next is in the beginning when you were talking about your record label. Mm-hmm crashing down and that betrayal happening. You spoke of body trauma. And I'm curious, how did you begin to address that? And what that has been able to transform to? And I just have a feeling that all of us have some sort of entrepreneurial body trauma, whether it's as a result of repeated patterns of mm -hmm. uh, putting ourselves out there and launching something and it not doing so well, mm -hmm. or maybe something doing really well, which has happened to me, but then starting to doubt yourself anyway. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's like those situations where you were saying where even when we begin to make money and things seem to be very stable, there's still space for turmoil if we allow for it. So I guess my question is, how did you begin to invite peace in the area of being expressed through business, through entrepreneurship and trusting people again and being seen at all at the same time? Because that's the world of entrepreneurship is so wild because we get to do all of these things at once. Absolutely. And especially the world of sacred entrepreneurship, because one of the best parts about having a sacred business is that you get to evolve and heal along with creating and serving your community. It is a multifold evolution. And so th this, is, this is like one of the best things about having a sacred business is that as a human being, you're able to just slowly come back to who you really are. And so I think for each one of us, we, we all have a lot of trauma stored in our body and that's probably some of it ancestral. You know, when, when our soul chooses our, our body and our life, 
and our lineage and our ecology and the family we're born into, you know, we already come in likely with holding lots of patterns that are don't serve us and that don't belong to us. And then every day that we're alive, every experience we have, we listen to conversations, we watch TV, we walk down the street, you know, all of these layerings and layerings create these little wounds and these or sanskaras. And this is why today I coined the phrase, the multiverse of you, because you are a multiverse. You are an incredibly complex, multifaceted human being that is utterly unique. And so the way that you would begin to disentangle and reconfigure and heal and integrate the multiverse of you is something that you can do in partnership with your soul and you can ask for assistance with your soul because your soul loves you unconditionally and is the one, your soul is there to unfold and to co-create life with you so that it can express itself fully. And so I think with trauma, when you, when you carry a lot of trauma, let's say as an entrepreneur, you just have to start by being willing, being willing to look at your trauma. And that, you know, is quite a big first step. It has to be a genuine willingness. And then inch by inch, I think just as much as you can take, it gets revealed to you. And the more you, you can become very intelligent as to your own healing map and your pattern and like the, the landscape of who you are. And so like now, because every single day before every client session, during every client session and after every client session, and that's in groups and in one-to-ones. So every time I'm creating something in my business or actually expressing it or kind of ruminating on it, I am looking at the effect that it has on me and the effect that it has on my healing journey. And it's extremely specific and like, If you look at it, imagine it as a terrain, it's got like millions of mountains and streams and forests, but there'll always be probably these two or three. And like you said before, these two or three themes that are going on at any given time. And you start to be able to connect the dots and you're like, oh, that conversation is to teach me this, which links to like this quality that my business is asking me to embody more of so that I can hold more money. And so for me, just to give you one example, currently my business is asking me to come into more of an embodied understanding of power. And my headaches came back. And so I worked with my with Hero, with my mentor, and also privately to understand why have my headaches come back. And I understood that I hold a lot of trauma in my body around not being able to get pregnant and that I don't trust my body. I actually, there's a huge lack of trust in my body because it didn't work in inverted commas for so long. And it continues to this day, like I have hormonal issues. So I like don't trust my body. And my body is the source of my power. Like Your body is the source of your power. Our bodies are our soul in flesh form. So all of these quality, these soul qualities that we're here to embody come from the actual body. And so if I don't trust my body, then I'm not understanding the source of my true power. And my business is asking me to come into an increased understanding of my power And so it happens through, in this case, like awakening some headaches so that I can understand the root cause of my trauma and the resulting lack of trust that I have in my body. And that's just one lesson that I'm currently working through. And so if you have a willingness to look at whatever specific point in your healing map you are, 
you don't have to do the hard work. Like the map is revealed to you. All you have to do is lean in and be willing and just keep notes and like start building out this like terrain of your own healing journey because it gets more and more and more intricate and nuanced and incredible. And that map, like as it builds out, you start to embody the full spectrum of your majesty as a human being. And that is, that is reflected in your bank balance. Like it's reflected in the choices that you make, in the actions that you take, in the relational qualities between you as a human and all the different structures and frameworks that lead to you earning money. And so there's no mystery to it. It's just, are you willing to lean in to who you really are and to evolve every single day as a human? I resonate so much with everything you shared. I've had my own history of fertility and pregnancy situations that left me not trusting my body. So I know exactly what you're talking about. And it really takes so much time in my experience and grace to relearn to trust my body Um, as a woman, as a creator, having had an experience where it didn't work out. It's like, it was a moment where I didn't know if I can trust myself with creating anything. Yeah. And that went on for longer than I was comfortable with. And, you know, I'm just starting to kind of reemerge and relearn to trust. So I so appreciate you speaking to this so beautifully. And you are such a queen of complexity <laughs> and taking <laughs> complex concepts and kind of in a cradled way, introducing them in a grounded way. And so the question that I could ask you so many things, I have like a whole energetic list of kind of bullet points, but the one that I'm really called to bring up, that's like the hottest one is, so when I started the podcast four years ago, I was a baby spiritual being. And I thought that the more that we develop our spiritual side the more we meditate, do breath work, sit with cacao, the more kind of the trajectory of growth will just go up. And parallel to that, the trajectory of our outer success, including our bank account, they're just like two beautiful, smooth, parallel lines like that. And what I've realized in the unfolding is that it's not like that at all. Like it's one can be going this way, another one can pause or like get lost on the map or go the other way. It's not linear in any way whatsoever. And one of the themes that came up in those years was money was coming so easily to me. Like I might get a contract in my inbox, you know, as a content creator and be like, we, from a brand that I was, delighted to work with. Here's $5,000 for, let's say like a package of three Instagram posts and a blog post. And it would be, yeah, it would be a lot of work, but it also would be very natural to me. Like it would be so easy for me. And that money just kept coming in. And the contrast that I was so present to that opened up like a whole ceremony in my life is I would be like at a rural grocery store where we live looking at a person who might seemingly to me, I don't know anything about their journey, but somehow I was projecting that seemingly they might never get the opportunities that I have. And how am I so lucky? Like they might never make more than $15 an hour in their lives. They might never see the world 
the way that I have, you know, like travel to so many countries and make money with so much ease doing what I love. And I don't even know if guilt is the right word. I think it's just this presence to unfairness that made me wonder, why me? Why am I getting all these things? And as a result of me wondering my own choice of myself, it definitely reflected in my bank account as well. I created that. And, you know, from a human perspective, from like a business linear perspective, you could say, well, that side of your business started making less money because the industry just got more saturated. There's more content creators. But I know, I know deep in my soul that it's because of the energetics that I was inviting in. I was so entangled with what others didn't have. And I was spending so much energy thinking about it that I gave something away. I gave something up in the process. And with that trusting that all of that, that side of my business needed to pause so that I could focus on other things in my life, like it all is divinely orchestrated and perfect. So my question to you is, you've pointed a couple of times within the conversation that when we're we're willing to sit with truly running a service-based business, truly genuinely, capital T, when we are willing to sit without trauma and use the business as a sacred vehicle to resolve those traumas and those limitations of perceived limitations, then the money shows up. I still have doubts deep in myself. And this is something I worked with deeply with my mentor and a topic that is unfolding that if I am just fully me walking, sharing my medicine generously in the world, then the money will just show up. My life experience shows that it always does, always does somehow. And yet still somehow my logical brain, when it's wide awake and active, it still wonders, is that really how it is? Or is it that it's not meant to be like that because sometimes having less money in the bank brings us an experience that we wouldn't have had that was important for a spiritual soul human evolution. So is that question clear? Because I feel like there's so many layers. All right. Great. Yes, it's definitely clear. And there's like two things I want to, I picked up on. The first was this idea that if you go through phases where you don't have money in your bank account, likely that will bring up certain emotions, worry, anxiety, fear. And that might look in a a sudden lack of trust in divine order. And then what can happen for us spiritual folk is that we quickly cobble together a pacifying thought form along the lines of, well, I must be meant, I must meant to be experiencing this. This is somehow part of my spiritual evolution. Like I must be asked, like something must be asking me to experience what it feels like to not have money. And yet that sentence is at odds with the emotions that run underneath it. Because the sentence of, I can see that this is a part of my spiritual evolution is a very profound, like that frequency that would match that would be a very profound embodied peace and calm. And yet the emotions that run underneath being like, fuck, I don't understand. Like, (laughs) why do I have no money? That is anything but. And so whenever there is conflict and like dichotomies between your desires, 
your values, your beliefs, and your external experience, when things are not matching up, like that's where the work comes. And so this brings me to the second part of what I wanted to say, which was where you said, even though you trust and you know on an intellectual level way, something still says, but does the money really just show up? And the answer is no, the money doesn't just show up in a magical, mystical way. There are a very specific, grounded, practical, down-to-earth set of steps that lead to money creation. And this is exactly brings us full circle to what we said at the very beginning. When you do the work to understand, integrate, and heal the multiverse of you, so your thought forms, your values, your beliefs, the agreements that you may have inherited that do not serve you, the wounds that you've built up in this lifetime and before and after and up and down. (laughs) When you understand that you are a multifaceted human being with a soul purpose and a human purpose, and you commit to leaning in, that means that every single second of every day, you have to check, what are my emotions? What are my inner selves clamoring for? What are my desires? Am I paying attention to my desires? Am I honoring my desires? How am I behaving? What is the relational quality between me and the ecology of my life? And those inform and shape the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. And those decisions then lead to specific actions that we take. And so we begin to create a different world for for ourselves. And this is obviously a practice and a multi-layered approach. And the way that the decisions that we take and the actions that we take, they shape the, the, for example, in the context of business, the offerings that we make. And so when we make offerings without truly being intentional from the very seed up to the sale, those offerings are often like cobbled together and they don't have much, they don't have a grounded energy. They don't have much intention. This is how I used to create. I would take a concept a spiritual concept, and I would cobble together with artful language. And I thought I was making really good stuff there. And, you know, it served a certain purpose. You know, it was shallow. And so therefore, it's going to earn money that matches it. So maybe that will be a lot of money, but the money will hold a shallow energy and will make me feel shallow when I look at my bank account. That's what was happening. So if you reverse engineer what making money, like real money, money that sustains you and nourishes you and is you decide how much money you want to earn. You make practical decisions that lead up from it. And when you reverse engineer it, it's all about the person you are becoming and the person that you are and how you then create opportunities to then make money. And it's always about the integrity and the stability and the depth of those things that you're creating that then receive the matching income. And so money doesn't just show up. Money is always a direct reflection of what you've done in order to earn it. It's always the last point in the chain. And you have to look at every point in the chain that leads up to the the moment somebody presses purchase. Because there's like 8 million things that come before it. And people think there's this massive jump of like mystery that's like, I surrender. And then I'll just wait and see what happens. But the jump is actually really not very big. And there's like, it's a very practical process that leads up to when somebody chooses to purchase something from you. Wow, I feel beautifully called out because you're so right to when you said, you know, what I heard and what I recognized about myself. It's last year I had months where I made $25,000 and I had months where I made $3,000. And mm-hmm. on the $3,000 months, 
there would be a worry. And that was the prevalent emotion. And mm-hmm. yet the thought was, I don't like the, to use the word should. I don't really use it in my daily life. But I think like if I were to put the energy into words, that's what exactly what it would be. So I should trust, I should trust the divine order. Everything will work out, you know? Yeah. And you're right. So the world was responding to my prevalent emotion that I was allowing myself to experience. And if I, instead of pushing it away and feeling embarrassed by it, if I actually allowed myself to be with it and at the same time enjoy the beauty that was present in my life without this fixation on how the money looks like in that moment, I can see how that can be such a powerful, potent pathway into everything that you're talking about into the new pathway yeah into the multiverse of you exactly so if we if we go to that point in the timeline of when you earned three thousand dollars you opened your bank account and you felt a jolt of like which by the way we've all experienced and you know probably will continue to experience till the day we die in some way shape or form so the moment you felt the jolt what you could have done is like paused and gone deeply into that jolt and really found that one of your inner selves that was feeling fear. That self could be, for example, 10-year-old Xenia who has witnessed life outside her window that looks very glum and very grim and teaches her that being broke is something to deeply fear and that like when your income goes down, like that leads to like serious problems in your life and those are going to multiply, like whatever it was, okay? So you would then find there's probably usually going to be like two or three inner selves that are like kicking up, like that are feeling those emotions. And those inner selves, unless you actually come into a leadership position with your community of inner selves and you listen to them and you attune to their highest truth. So what you can do is you can go deeply in and like connect to that fear and listen to it, assuage it, reparent it tell yourself you don't tell that little girl or that 20 year old or recently there's one of mine that's been popping up who's 26 and i always say to it look this isn't you you don't need to worry about this now leave it to me you don't need to worry and then i connect to the highest truth of that creature what is her highest potential because there's always wisdom to be gleaned from that self that is carrying that fear and you do this every single day and when you do that You have to imagine that suddenly a new pathway is formed that didn't exist before. It's like this new little shoot springs up and an entirely new possibility opens up. And if you walk down that pathway instead, you have no idea what's on the other end of that pathway. You have no idea what the next step you will take is as a result of having healed that trauma. And if you continue to do that, you realize that there are literally, literally limitless, infinite numbers of possibilities and outcomes. You are never pinned to one over the other and you get to choose how you shape every second of your existence. And that's personal power. That's how you learn power. You're like, I actually have full dominion over my internal kingdom. I can take a leadership position. I can help to heal all of these fragmented parts of myself and I will be a different person in the next second. And that different person, that new human, that new human, that new human, that's how you, that's how you manifest and how you become very deliberate and focused. And like, that's how you come into a practical relationship with money where you're like, okay, I can see why 
my decisions thus far, I've been like scattergunning with my business and I'm going to be a lot more deliberate and conscious. And like, I've realized that these five grand jobs I was getting from those brands, like they don't really match the human that I am today. You know, so it's like a combination of tiny things and big things. And you just, you have to trust yourself and you have to like grow into a leadership position in your own life, basically. Wow. The quote that comes to mind, the bumper sticker that my husband, Eric, and I have been saying to each other anytime the other one starts to worry is, good morning, this is God. I will be handling all your problems today. I will not need your help. So have a great day. (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. And you could say that to your own little community of inner selves. Like, it's not your job, six-year-old. It's not your job, 20-year-old. It's my job. So I will listen to you and I need you. I'm doing, I'm growing with you. I can't do this without you, but you don't need to make the business decisions today. You will not be shaping the way that I create this offering. I will be shaping that. Well, that was uh, my Thursday morning healing session. Thank you, Ellie Siren. This was uh, (laughs) incredible. Did not expect that we would go there, but this has been such a beautiful conversation. I'm just so grateful for your work and you sharing so transparently about so many different stages and thankful for the internet as always for connecting us. And before we wrap up, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? No, I think I feel like every single place we went today is building a tapestry and served the exact intention that we had at the beginning of the call, which was to introduce some practical and grounded and like chilled ways of looking at money. We didn't hype. There was no showmanship. We didn't play on anyone's wounds today, which is so easy to do when one talks about money. There was no enticing energy. It was very practical. And I hope that everybody walks away from this feeling like, hey, I can actually access my own personal power here and I can go in and change things up and become the kind of human tomorrow and the next day and the next day who naturally makes decisions that leads to a better relationship with money and more money, if that's correct for me today or tomorrow or next week. And every part of you matters as you make those decisions. Every part. So what is the best way for everybody to connect with you and your current offerings? Mm. So definitely Instagram, which is instagram.com forward slash Ellie Silent. And on there is where I'm really active at the moment. And I'm about to launch an offering actually, which I think will close enrollment probably in like a week or eight days or something like that. And this is going to be the most meaningful, magnificent container I've ever created in partnership with my business. It's called Cara. It's six months of creating and establishing foundational relationships and frameworks and structures in our business and learning the art of attunement within our business. I'm so excited about it and I can't wait to see where the rest of the year takes me and the people I'm going to meet and you know the stuff that you and I are going to do together because I was thinking about you today and I feel like our relationship will develop and so many amazing things will emerge from our friendship. I can feel that deeply. I can't wait. Oh yes. I'm here for it. I'm so (laughs) excited. Ellie, thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your evening and I'll talk to you next time. Can't wait. 
Thank you for tuning in into the last episode of the money series. If you're called to dive deeper into this topic, it all started with episode 205. Let's talk about money in which I share my own personal journey and how I am approaching wealth building, money mindsets, and some of the work that I have done to find an empowered foundation within this area of my life. The next few episodes will be all about the new chapter of my life that I am entering into. My husband Eric and I are moving to Austin, Texas. We're in the process of selling our house in the Catskills, our beautiful tiny cabin. And as this episode comes out, we are in the final stages of packing everything up, getting ready to move and find our next home. So I will be revisiting some of the older episodes we've recorded about this journey from Brooklyn to the tiny cabin, all of the crazy stories along the way and the vision that we held and how it actually ended up manifesting, what we ended up building here and why we're making this next move into Austin. We'll be both revisiting older episodes and outtakes from them. And Eric and I will be recording a new episode where we just sit down and heart to heart, share this vision for the next chapter. Eric has been recently mentored by Michelle, who was my mentor last year, and you will feel it in his energy. I know it. If you don't know who Michelle is yet, check out episode 145. It's really beautiful and there's a lot of beautiful codes on money as well. So it's a beautiful expansion of this money series that we've been exploring in the past few episodes. Thank you for tuning in. And next time you'll hear from me, it will be from Austin, Texas, unless we decide to go to Mexico or Barcelona for a vacation, which is uh, on the horizon. We're tuning into what feels right next, one step at a time. For now, it's all about finishing this packing and calling in grace and ease and trust as we step into the unknown. And by the way, if you have an amazing three plus bedroom home that you know of available for rent in Austin starting this summer or fall, hit me up on Instagram. I would love to know. I trust that this community is so powerful and so resourced that it will come into our lives in the most magical, miraculous, and unexpected ways. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.